You're listening to That'll Preach. Welcome to the show. We're glad you guys are listening in. We've got an interview today with Pastor Stephen Lee. Uh, Stephen is the pastor for preaching and vision of the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. And uh, he lives there in Minnesota with his wife, Stephanie, and their five kids. He also writes for Desiring God. And uh, he's written a really, I think, helpful article that we're going to talk about today. But first, just want to welcome you, Stephen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I, I came across your work on Desiring God, and particularly one article I thought was really helpful. And uh, it was about how pastors navigate conflict. You actually called it the embattled pastor, right? Conflict and criticism. And in it, I think you have a very sort of pastoral heart when you're talking to pastors on how you sift through, you know, some of the things that that people might say. Maybe they don't mean it in a particular way, but it can still sting. I mean, you have a couple quotes, your church lacks community, uh, you're not a warm church, the church is too big, you know, all this stuff. And I think a lot of people who are in ministry can maybe relate to hearing this. So I'm curious, just on a personal note, what inspired you to write an article like this? Yeah, uh, it was um, a particular set of answers that I got. It was, uh, you know, we usually do exit interviews. When people leave our church, we send them a little survey and we say, hey, you know, you're leaving. And generally they're leaving on good terms. And we try to uh, ask them, you know, like, are there reasons that you're leaving? And then is there anything that you would like to share, you know, in the, now that you're kind of departing? And um, I, I think there was one individual, I don't remember who it was, but they left some pretty scathing kind of criticisms. And it just kind of got me thinking like, man, that's, that's pretty rough um, in terms of some of the things that they shared. And, you know, I think people don't necessarily mean uh, every aspect of that, uh, of what they share. And at the same time, like we want to be able to take it to heart and say like, is there validity in what they're sharing? Right. We want to receive that criticism. And, and, you know, in addition to that, like as every pastor can testify, you know, COVID, George Floyd, all the things with race and ethnicity and CRT and now Christian nationalism, like people are fractured. And so there's just constantly uh, things coming at us uh, in pastoral ministry that just requires us to have clarity of how to navigate both criticism, but then also conflict within the church. I mean, when you read those conflicts or when you read those comments, was it surprising? What were some initial reactions, maybe among the elders as you're reading through it? What was that process like sifting through all that? Yeah, it, it wasn't necessarily surprising. Um, you know, I think w with a large church, we'll, we'll get uh, very contradictory comments almost all the time. You know, someone says, man, this is the friendliest church that I've ever been to in my life. And I've been in churches for five decades. And then someone else will say, this is the most unfriendly, coldest church that I've ever been in, in my life, you know? And, and so it, we just chalk it up to, it, it's really unfortunate that that's the experience of some, but it, really matters in terms of how much they got involved and whether uh, they met some key people when they first got there and the people that they were around and what service they were going to. And so we, we just recognize that's just part of life. And that's just part of the, the human experience is that everyone's going to have a little bit different of an experience. Um, but, you know, the, the initial response is always a little bit of, man, I, I wish we could have did better for this particular ind individual. You know, we don't want anyone to leave disappointed. Uh, I think that's every pastor's heart is that people would be well served uh, by being pointed to the, 
you know, beauty and the preciousness of Christ in our churches. And yet we know that we're not always able to do that. And so it, it is both disappointing and unsurprising, I think, at one level. When you read these comments, and that's that's very brave to have an exit interview. Do you guys have a process through how you filter it? Like, okay, this is legitimate, or I don't really trust this source, or they're kind of right. Like, how do you sift through it with humility, but also not kind of giving the keys to every kind of person who complains? Yeah, yeah. We take everything we receive with a grain of salt, you know, knowing that people come with particular perspectives. So if they say, you know, your sermons are boring and long, and we say, Sorry, you know, like, but uh, we're really not going to change. Like, we're really committed to preaching from the Bible, uh, consecutive as boring as possible. Yeah, as boring as possible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, so we're really committed to preaching the scriptures. We're probably going to go 35, 40, maybe a little bit more, forty-five minutes in a given week. You know, we're we're not catering to preferences, um, and we're actually trying to push against the very consumer mentality of church. And so comments that fall into that category, you know, I don't want to say we dismiss really quickly, but we don't put too much stock in some of those things. You know, I wish you dropped the lights during worship. Well, we're just not going to do that. One of our values is this is a gathered church. So the lights stay up because we're a family. We, we want to see each other. We want to be able to see our Bibles when the sermon's going on. And so those are the things that we try to uh, take to heart. But there are other things that, you know, people might point out where someone once said, I think you guys don't have a lot of uh, very many handicap accessible bathrooms. And we we're like, they're right. Like we don't. Uh, it's not easy if you navigate primarily in a wheelchair in our building. It, it's a converted warehouse. So uh, we've tried to make a handful of changes, at least low hanging fruit that we could do immediately to make that more accessible for someone who is coming in with a, uh, you know, in a wheelchair or, or something to that nature. It's a helpful way of putting it. And I like how, I mean, essentially you talk about, you have to have some like firm principles, I guess, that everybody in your leadership agrees on. And then mm -hmm. when you work from those principles, you can kind of discern, you know, what kinds of uh, suggestions or, or criticisms may, maybe are valid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what I appreciated about your article too, is you didn't just leave it on sort of the practical matter, but you really talked about the internal kind of war going on in a pastor's mind. I mean, you know, pastors are people, they're humans, you know, and there can be all these sort of temptations in it. And it really is, you know, at the risk of maybe sounding too dramatic, but I think it, it's an apt description. There is a bit of a spiritual warfare happening whenever you're dealing with criticism and division and conflict. Um, can you elaborate on some of how you've experienced that? What's like the internal struggle that you face whenever somebody makes these critical remarks, or you see a lot of division among people in, in conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I would kind of divide that into separate categories. You know, there's, there's both the kind of internal heart and mind dynamic of the pastor when they receive criticism, right? So we want to fight uh, fear and anxiety, and we want to fight by faith. And so we want to continue to say, okay, am I being faithful to what the Lord's called me to? Is there uh, validity in these criticisms. If there are, let me take that to heart. And if there aren't, let, let me just leave that before the Lord. So I think just being really content in, in Christ um, and really bringing those things honestly before the Lord is, is a really important part. But then I think there is a, a, a separate kind of spiritual dynamic where there, there are things that, you know, we know Satan is at work in, in trying to undermine the church and to bring about division and sow seeds of discord and create bitterness. And so we, we will 
we want to be able to uh, combat that as well. And where I would say we've experienced it is, um, you know, we've had seasons where it, it was just people were uh, not getting along. There, there wasn't a lot of clarity. And I actually had one really amazing experience, actually, I'll, I guess I'll share it. Um, but uh, there was some really kind of weird things going on in the church in terms of broad leadership uh, fracturing, uh, I would say, uh, several years ago. And the Lord woke me up at 3 a.m. Uh, so it's never happened before, never happened since. But I woke up at 3 a.m. and I had been sort of thinking and dreaming in my sleep. And I just thought, oh, I think I know exactly what's going on. So I went to my computer, pulled it out in the middle of the night, pitch black. And I type for about uh, two hours and five pages later, uh, it more or less lays out everything that had gone on. And I think it was pretty accurate. And it really gave me a lot of clarity in order to lead uh, our church into the next uh, season to really bring about clarity and conviction in light of some of those things. And so, um, you know, I do, I do think there are kind of spiritual battles that are taking place. And yet we know that the Lord is fighting on our side. He is trying to help us uh, so that we would have clarity in understanding the things that are going on. So uh, that, that's just one tangible example, but I do think there's kind of spiritual battles at multiple levels, both internally within the heart of the individual, but then also we know that Satan is actively at work trying to undermine the work of the church. It's amazing how often Satan is brought into, you know, the, the, the disruption in the church, the schemes of Satan, and then mm -hmm. falling to the snare of the devil and the say, you know, how uh, selfish ambition and jealousy is demonic. I mean, these are very loaded spiritual terms. I mean, the book of James, I feel like it's full of it, you know, and, you know, sometimes we forget that, that there is an enemy who's actually actively trying to sow discord among, yeah, the, among the body of believers. That's the hardest thing too. I mean, I think if you disagree with someone who's not a believer, you kind of have this sense of like, well, they're on the wrong side. You know what I mean? I mean, mm -hmm. I think the hardest thing is navigating conflict among believers. And yeah. you both, you know, they they both love God. You know, they both love the, the church. They both want what's right. And yet they're at mm -hmm. odds and very hostile to each other. How do you navigate negotiating conflict between people? Maybe it's not directly towards you, but when you see two brothers or two sisters or whatever at each other's throats, how do you, how do you navigate something like that? Yeah. I think in, in recent years, you know, I think there's the timeless principle is always like, you know, follow Matthew 18, go to them, you know, talk like, and very often I think in our increasingly polarized and tribal kind of world, like, Hey, someone posted something on Facebook or they tweeted out something. And so, you know, we're, we're now going to distance ourselves from them. I'm not going to talk to them. I don't like them. And, and I think the important part is, no, let's get in the same room and, and let's talk about that. And then I think what we increasingly see is we have all these people who agree kind of at the broad theological level. Uh, and, and we would say, yep, we're, we're all aligned on some of these foundational first and second tier core beliefs to be part of the same church. And yet we're differing at the instinct level or the emphasis level. So like, you know, we would say uh, Christ has torn down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And so we're all one in Christ and everyone would be like, amen. Right. And then, but how do we talk about uh, the issues of race within a church and how some people might feel uh, a certain way. And, and so some lean uh, towards one end of, 
you know, they want to emphasize, let's weep with those who weep. And some want to emphasize the other side of we're all one in Christ. We're all unified. We're all one people. And I would say both are true, but I think it's a matter of emphasis that really kind of where we begin to talk past each other. And so, again, I think it's really important to help us see that we have different burdens when we come to certain conversations. We have different experiences when we come to different conversations. And that's part of the beauty and the diversity of the body. We need all of those different parts of the body to help us uh, be essentially a whole body as the body of Christ. How do you navigate, especially with like social issues or political issues? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're trying, you, you might have congregants who disagree, you know, on, on serious points about that. And you've got to kind of be there as an impartial third party. But it's also like, I don't have a degree in political theory. I haven't read all the five books I'm supposed to read and the nine podcasts and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you sort of, I don't want to say stay above the fray, but how do you keep your head level when you also are sifting through these questions yourself? You know, it's kind of like you have to work both. You have to figure it out in your own mind and you have to help other people figure these things out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not easy. And, and I think, um, you know, one of the things we want to do is always keep the main thing, the main thing. Right. So let's keep pulling people back to the center uh, and not the political center, but really the center of the gospel. Like, let, let's lead with uh, the centrality of Christ and all that we do and, and let the peripheral things be the peripheral things. I was just reading a D.A. Carson quote recently, and he says, my students don't learn everything that I teach them. They only really learn and catch a handful of things. And the things that they're most likely to learn are the things I get really excited about. And so if my pastoral ministry is characterized by being really excited about the peripheral things like, you know, uh, the cultural issues, then my people are going to catch that. But I want really the the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Jesus, the, the uh, transforma- transformative power of the gospel to be the central thing. And then, yes, address the peripheral things, uh, you know, as carefully and clearly as I can. And I think, uh, again, always trying to root it back to scripture to say, what are the foundational principles that we can stand on and agree on together? And then also not bind anyone's conscience to say, you have to see it this way on these kind of third or fourth tier issues that aren't clear from scripture, the way that I see it or another congregant sees it. And I just want to give people room uh, to, to really come to different convictions. That's a great way to put it. I mean, people can tell, you know, even if maybe you don't speak about a subject too much, they can tell what you get animated about, or they can tell, you know, what's a particular hobby horse. And I could see that I could I could see how anyone could fall into that trap of wanting to make peripheral things the main thing, usually because maybe it's it's the it's what's always on your mind because of the news feed or the books that you're reading. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to just go back to, you know, it's almost like the boring, simple, like the gospel and you know <laughs> evangelism, like these things that seem so basic. And yet it's so easy to lose focus, mm-hmm. right? especially with yeah. all the pressures around. Um what, what, so the, the, the term burnout, I keep hearing that mm-hmm. you know, over and over again, especially relating to pastors. And I know there's statistics that float around about post-COVID and all these pastors are quitting and all these types mm-hmm. of things. And um, what, so what strategies do you recommend, you know, or what ways of thinking can help prevent burnout? Maybe even just have you felt tempted to that? And, and when you do, what are some ways that you can endure and and mm-hmm. maybe get to a healthier place just what what are your thoughts on burnout in the ministry with regard to conflict especially yeah yeah 
Um, you know, I don't know if I'm the best person to speak of burnout just cause, you know, I haven't personally experienced it. And, um, I remember I was asked to be at a pastor's conference, uh, five years ago. So I was 35 at the time and they said, why don't you teach on burnout? Oh, and I said, I'm too young. I've been, okay, in past I, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part yet. That's right. That's right. And so I, I said, you know, I, I tried to be, uh, really cognizant of, you know, here I am speaking to fellow pastors who've been in ministry, you know, decades more than me. And I just said, Hey, I'm no expert here. I'm a young guy trying to navigate. And as I look, you know, 30 years out, these are some of the things I've put into place now, hopefully that I don't get to that place someday. And so, uh, you know, the, the main things that I've tried to really kind of put in place, uh, I've been helped by others who've really talked about some of those things. So I would say two books that I've read, uh, it's one is zeal without burnout by Christopher Ash. I don't know if you've read that. And then the other one is reset by David Murray. And both mm-hmm. of those guys are talking about how to establish healthy patterns for life and ministry and family. And so I've tried to do some of that is really try to guard my day off, talk to my wife, talk to my fellow elders. I actually just took a sabbatical uh, by God's grace after 11 years of ministry. I was able to take three months to just spend some extended time with my kids uh, and family, uh, reconnect with some extended family. So, you know, insofar as you're able, like, you know, take your vacation. I try to tell all my staff, like, please take your vacation. You don't get extra bonus points by leaving it all and then having it disappear at the end of the year. And the reason the church gives it to you is so that you will take it so that you can actually rest. Um, And so I find that really helpful. And then just being really honest with yourself, like we're all wired a little bit differently, you know, so someone might be high capacity and they can kind of uh, really get excited and, and and do a lot of things and have multiple fires in the iron. And some of us have, have different levels of capacity. Our families have different levels of capacity. Our, our family life uh, limits us. And so I think just really being honest with that uh, is at least a starting point and not thinking all of this depends on me. And no, all of it depends on the Lord. And then we try to work hard by his grace and be reasonable in that. So there was a, a book I read a failure of nerve by Edmund Friedman. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's a great book. Cause one of the things he says is he's yeah. like, look, burnout is caused because of relational stress. Like you could take a, a an eight month vacation, come back. If the people are terrible, you're going to be burnt out in two weeks, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing when it's like, how do you put those relational conflicts, whether it's with you or between people, how do you stop that from infecting your own kind of sense of well being? Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, and I think Failure of Nerve is a really good book to kind of highlight some of the, the conflict that takes place within a family. And so I think mm-hmm. as pastors, one of the things we have to develop is both a, a short memory at one level, thick skin, um, and, and just be able to sort of move on. And so, you know, um, you know, say you get a criticism from a congregant, right? And, and you know some of the more intimate things about that congregant. And now they're maybe shooting arrows at you. Well, the next Sunday, even if, you know, they come to mind when you're preparing the sermon, you you can't call them out, right? Like that's just not appropriate at all. And and so I think you really do have to compartmentalize, like I'm placed here to be a steward of God's word in order to serve the flock. How how do I do that best? And so I I think uh, a really important part is just to say, receive the, you know, critique or criticism whenever there's something that's not right 
address that right away. And so you cannot be adverse to conflict. I think you have to actually run to it head on with, with clarity and, and conviction to say, hey, you know, if there's something between us, I'd love to know. Let's talk about that. Um, and so keep short accounts, I, I think, is one of those things that we can do. Um, and, and then also, you know, involve fellow elders, you know, so if someone is saying, hey, you know, we're concerned about certain things, you know, you can lay that before, uh, you know, in a sense, a neutral third party, a fellow elder to say, you know, if, if there's something there, uh, I'd like to know. And, um, you know, my fellow elders can kind of bring that to mind and talk to me about that. But if it's not valid, then, you know, I can just leave it behind. And so I think we really do have to compartmentalize, uh, you know, in a healthy way, um, to not let that sort of, you know, ruin dinner and ruin, you know, a day with the family. Um, and I think that's an important skill that's to be learned is at the end of the day, um, you know, you leave that before the Lord, um, you know, uh, he is your advocate. He is, uh, the one who's going to defend you. Uh, you know, your work will be judged on the final day, not by individuals, but by the Lord. And so you want to be able to operate with a clean conscience. Well, you know, how do you deal with defensiveness? I mean, I think one of the things is that, uh, you know, I think you, you even speak about wrestling with uh, inadequacy. Um, you know, there's a sense in which you want to be humble, but you also want to have a confidence in that you are putting things the right way. Or you're, you're heading things in the right direction. So what are some ways to combat defensiveness while keeping a sort of confidence that, that you need to lead people. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's kind of an art and not a science. Right. Um, cause, cause we are, um, you know, we, we strive to be humble servants, uh, that have been called by God. And so, you know, we're not those who lord it over anybody, uh, all of the authority that we have is delegated authority from the Lord. Um, and yet, you know, we do stand firmly on God's word and we stand firmly on the, the role and the call that he's given us. If we're called to lead and to serve a congregation by opening the word. And, and so um, I think to avoid defensiveness is really to, you know, be able to receive uh, the things that might be brought before you prayerfully consider them, uh, bring them to fellow elders. And then at the end of the day, you know, really to say, if there's certain things that we're doing, uh, we can ultimately trust the Lord in, in those things. So, so I'll give you one example. I, I had a, a family come and uh, they, they asked me to do something with the next hire that we were going to make at the church. And, and in particular, they wanted me to hire uh, a pastor of a particular ethnicity in, in order to reflect uh, or actually to give their, their children, uh, a bit of a, maybe a, an example to look up to, uh, someone that would be the same ethnicity as their, uh, children. Um, and, and I just said, I, I cannot do that. I, I can't promise you that before I've even begun the search, like as much as we want to, uh, you know, be mindful of how, uh, you know, different ethnicities, uh, different perspectives might add to our pastoral team. Uh, I, I'm really committed to finding the best person for the role that can serve our church without making that sort of the litmus test or, or the only thing that I'm looking at. And so, you know, the, this individual uh, turned to me and said, well, that's the most disappointing thing that I've ever heard uh, in my life. And I said, wow, 
I'm sorry you feel that way. And, and they proceeded to then later leave the church. And, and so, um, and I feel very comfortable standing where I stand to say, I think I made the right call. Like, I, I don't think we should hire, uh, you know, roles within the church by making promises to individuals as they, you know, advocate for a certain thing. But, you know, as a, as a leadership, we're, we're praying, asking the Lord to give us clarity and wisdom of how might we hire the best person to serve this flock at this season in this time where we're located. And so, um, you know, that's kind of an extreme example, but uh, it, it's just one of the real life things that we'll face, right? Yeah, in, in all the different challenges that might come. Are there any ways that you found have been helpful in reaching people who maybe are aggressive in their criticism. Maybe they're very vocal and you don't want to just shut them out. What are some ways that you kind of engage yourself even? How to how do you prepare yourself to engage with them in a way that maybe they can hear? Are there any types of, you know, yeah, like what what's what's been your experience like that? How do you approach somebody who maybe is 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 pretty aggressively critical? Um yeah, I would say it depends in what context. You know, if they're if they're aggressive in a broad congregational setting, um, you know, I think if they begin to cross a line where it's inappropriate, you know, they're sowing seeds of discord, they're openly uh, stirring up division. Um, I, I think, you know, it's imperative upon us to actually confront that in the moment. And so I remember one time we had a congregational meeting, someone was kind of talking about kind of peripheral issues and then started going into their own opinion about something in the news. And I just said, I just need you to stop right now. And he said, are you talking down to me? And I said, no, I'm talking down to you. I'm cutting you off because I said at the beginning of this meeting that we're not going to speculate into these other areas. And so, um, you know, I, I went to him afterwards and we talked it, we talked it through. And so, uh, you know, that could have been seen as heavy handed, but I think it was appropriate in the moment. And then at the same time, if someone's openly critical in private, I think that's the right setting. And I want to be able to engage them and be able to listen carefully to say, you know, what are the things that you're bringing so that I can receive those? And maybe there's a different perspective. Maybe there's something they're trying to offer. Maybe this is the way in which the Lord is going to use this to help us as a, as a church, as a leadership, as me personally, in terms of shoring up weaknesses or things that I'm not seeing. And so uh, I, I don't want to immediately see this individual as an enemy. I want to see them as this is, this is God's gift to the church, perhaps in this moment. And I want to receive that if that's the case. Um, and at the same time, you know, ultimately uh, be able to receive that and then, or to leave it behind um, trusting the Lord in that. You mentioned a little bit about um, talking with the elders and how mm -hmm. having that kind of support system is helpful. And uh, maybe talk a little bit more about that. I mean, you know, I guess it really depends on the kind of elders you have. You don't want to be around yes men. Mm -hmm. um, but just in your, you know, do you have personal friendships with these elders? What's it been like whenever conflict has emerged and you go to them for advice? Maybe even talk about has there been conflict between the elders and, and how do you how does that kind of shake out? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in terms of personal friendships with elders, absolutely. Um, in terms of, you know, leaning on one another, we actually have in our elder council, I think we have about 18 guys. And so between staff and non-staff and we have all of them pair up. And so each guy has a pair that they're kind of connecting with regularly, just being able to say, 
like, Hey, what, what's going on in your life? What are the things you're facing? So very often as the, you know, kind of senior pastor, I'll send certain emails that I might receive to my fellow elder to say, Hey, just want you to see this. Uh, you know, I don't think I'm going to engage this one or, you know what, this is what I sent into the reply. Just want you to know for accountability. So I just want to include uh, them in that. I think that's good for awareness. It's good for accountability. If I have a blind spot, my fellow elder can see that. So that's going to serve me well. Um, And then when there's, you know, um, disagreement, even among the elders, I actually think that's a good thing. As long as we're all handling it in a godly way, Uh, I actually want to push for more, um, what I call often, um, robust agreement, and that only comes through conflict. And so one of the signs of a healthy organization is that you can actually have conflict. If, if you go into a staff meeting or you go into an elder meeting and no one can disagree with the main guy or the chair or whoever it is, then you don't have real agreement. You have shallow agreement. And so I think a sign of a healthy leadership team is actually being able to disagree openly, wrestle with those things, and then come to a greater consensus or conclusion coming out of that without anyone shutting down or, you know, impugning someone's motives. So I just, I I try to push for uh, open, in a sense, conflict or disagreement so that we come to actually robust agreement and not shallow agreement. And I think that's a sign of a healthy organization where people actually are speaking what they mean in the moment rather than, okay, we, everyone takes the break. And then, you know, two guys are in the hallway or in the bathroom and then they're sharing what they really think. Right. That's never a helpful exactly. dynamic. The meeting after the meeting or the, yep, you know, the, the post meeting. meeting. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that is, you know, helpful. And I guess that's a culture thing you have to build that people learn how to talk that way. I mean, in your ministry, how have you sought to encourage your congregants, the members of your church on how to do conflict? Well, I mean, do you do teaching series? Do you, you know, what are some tools that you try to equip the people in your church with when they encounter conflict? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if we've done a great job with that, um, with our congregation. Um, and I think we've probably learned some hard lessons in that over the last couple of years as a whole congregation of just how do we have open disagreement? How do we uh, begin to do some of those things? And, And I think, you know, that made it more complicated with the things going on in the world and the cultural nuances. So, you know, people were leaving loud or, uh, you know, uh, silence is complicity or, you know, those sorts of things. Right. So then they're, they don't feel like they're heard. So they're going to say it in more, uh, bombastic, um, you know, ways. And so I don't think that's a spiritual gift there. You know, I don't think that's a biblical way to address that, but we do want to provide appropriate venues for people to be able to say, Hey, I do have questions. I do have concerns. I do have uh, things that don't seem to be answered. And so I think giving our people opportunities to actually engage so that uh, they feel the sense of ownership, but then they also understand what's going on. So I think one of the things we've done, at least when some of the difficulties were going on is just Q and A's, you know, say, Hey, come, no one's going to pick on you. If you ask a question, it's okay to talk, not the troublemakers are coming to the mics. Like everyone can ask a question and then just ask. And then we're going to try to answer as honestly as we can. And I think when we held a number of those Q and A's during a tense time, I think that helped people just to feel like, okay, I know what's going on. And so I don't have to fill the gaps with my own suspicions. When do you know that, you know, it's time to move on? when there just can't be reconciliation or, you know, do you ever say like, Hey, maybe you should just leave. 
you know, and, and what's that process like, you know, when you're just like, I don't know if there's a future in this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's kind of going back to kind of, uh, the idea of theological triage, you know? Um, so maybe I see it as a third tier issue, right? So, Hey, good Christians agree to disagree on this. They all can worship as part of the same church. And like, I'm glad for you to hold that view. That's different from mine. And you're welcome here. Um, and they might say, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's a second tier issue. I think it's a first tier issue even. And they would say, I think you're maybe even compromising the gospel or, you know, uh, not, not living it out in all the ways that it calls for. And at that point, if it's, well, if you see that as a first tier issue and we're not on the same page, then yeah, that, that probably is a time for you to find a church that's going to more closely reflect um, what you think about that. You know, even though we might say, I think you're wrong. I, th I think you're calibrating your conscience incorrectly on that particular issue. Uh, but as much as we might instruct and teach, I, I can't ultimately change them. So if they're seeing that uh, fundamentally differently, and then there might be other things that we would say, Hey, you know, we do uh, agree to disagree on this, but man, if you, if you can live with that, like we want, we want you here. We want you to be able to worship here and we can move past that. Cause we don't have to uh, constantly, you know, talk about those things. If it's a third tier issue where we have some minor disagreements, but uh, really, again, it's, it's going to be, you know, depending on the level of severity or where it falls in terms of the type of issue and then how they are holding on to it. You know, maybe they're making a big deal out of it. Maybe they're trying to sway their small group to, latch onto that. Maybe they're trying to pull others into those uh, views and to take that as the only way to see that. Then at that point, we might say, hey, that's not going to be appropriate. And we're going to have to ask you to either stop that or really, you know, uh, you, you can't in good faith continue to do that and be a member of this church. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I think about how, you know, we generally think about conflict as it, it happened, like somebody approaches you, like you're, 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 on the receiving end of something uh, or conflict is happening to you or it's happening around. Then there are the times when it's like things are actually, there's no conflict, but you got to start it for the right reasons. How do you do that? How do you do that with, you know, without, you know, without losing your nerve, without becoming, you know, consumed with fear of man or something like that. What mm -hmm. are some ways that you can, you know, that pastors can kind of, uh, what is it? Uh, prepare, prepare their minds for action, gird up their loins and, yeah, and actually, have to go, I'm going to start some conflict because this needs to happen. Mm -hmm. We think through that. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to do it thoughtfully. You want to do it carefully. You want to do it with the support of your elders. You know, uh, it's never good to just go around picking fights. You know, most of us are not trying to do that, ever want to do that. Most people don't uh, relish that. Um, and so very often we'll, we'll bring things up among the pastoral staff team. And there, there are a number of things where we'll say, man, I think that's an issue that we're going to have to just let lie. Uh, you know, just leave that alone. Uh, it doesn't rise to the level of us needing to go talk to them about it or confront them about it. It might be a casual, hey, tell me about that. You know, I heard some things, we're a little bit concerned. Uh, and there might be other things where it's clearly going to be inappropriate and we're going to uh, lean in head on. And I think, um, you know, part of doing that is just we're not doing it because we love conflict and it's not because we're trying to throw our weight around or, you know, any authority or any of that. But if we think of it as we're supposed to be stewards of Christ's church, 
we've been delegated some level of uh, authority to really care for his church, then we have to address it in the same way that if you're the janitor and you see an overflowing toilet, you just can't leave it. You got to fix it. You got to address it, even if it's messy in the moment, right? And in the same way, if you're a shepherd and you see wolves on the hill, then you gotta you gotta gird up your loins and get ready and and fight them off and um and if it's just a mysterious figure then you gotta figure out you know friend or foe right and so um, I think seeing it as a steward really helps us because we're not trying to throw our weight around we're not trying to be demanding we're not trying to lord it over others um, and at the same time we can't be fearful in that either uh, we've been called by God to step in. You know, that's that's hard because especially now, I, I think that, you know, gosh, the term spiritual abuse and religious trauma, it's everywhere. And of course, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's like, man, I mean, it's like any kind of significant pushback, any kind of moral direction can be now interpreted in these yeah. very dramatic ways. And especially with the Internet, I mean, people can say whatever they want. You know, mm-hmm. how, how do you not become paranoid? You know what I mean? How do you not become cynical and paranoid about about you know the way the conflict unfolds and and how how people talk about you? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I have any kind of you know brilliant uh, answers to that one. I, and I just think at the end of the day, um, you know, it's never wrong to do the right thing, right? Um, no matter the cost, you know. So if it's standing up for biblical sexual ethics. Um, when our world is losing its mind, like whatever the cost, uh, we just can't compromise on God's word. And so uh, I want to be able to take the steps I take because I think it's close to the calling of being a faithful uh, servant and leader of the church in, in my task as being a shepherd. And so, um, you know, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, uh, giving oversight, you know, not under compulsion, but willingly. And so there's this call in first Peter five to really, uh, do it willingly, eagerly, uh, not Lord lording it over others. And so I think, um, you know, to, to avoid cynicism is, is just recognize like we don't do it for our own name and fame and reputation even, um, but we're really trying to be good stewards of what we've been entrusted by Christ and, and just let the chips fall where they will. Um, you know, whether you get blasted on social media or accused of something. And, and it's unfortunate that, you know, spiritual abuse is real. It does exist. There are people that there are pastors who are abusing their authority. Um, and yet even just the, bare minimum of exercising some authority in a church discipline case, you know, could get blasted. And so I just think we got to be really clear again with, um, you know, our elders so that we're, we're able to um, lead when, when we're called to. Is there ever been a piece of criticism you received that you really took to heart and you were like, wow, that, that is true. And it really kind of impacted you. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've gotten lots of criticism and I'm sure there's been uh, all sorts of things that I've taken to heart. Um, you know, I think uh, I'm trying to think if there's, if there's any one specific thing, you know, I actually ask my staff for critique. So we do sort of these 60 reviews and my staff will say uh, most recently, like, you know, we admire your willingness to speak courageously and boldly. And when, you know, there was a uh, conflict like you dove right in there and you led really well, but 
the other end of that is you can, you can have a sharp tongue at times and you can pin someone up against the wall, you know, just even among our own pastoral staff and, and they're right, you know, and, and I can do that. I can be critical. And so, you know, that courage and willingness to speak can also have a weakness. And so, um, you know, they shared that with me and I said, yeah, okay. I, I need to learn from that because my staff see me regularly. They love me. They care about me. They're helping. They're trying to help me grow. And so, uh, that is a weakness of mine is that I can be critical and it can come out right away and someone can feel really kind of cornered and pinned down. And, and that's not how I want to lead. Um, and, and so I have to be mindful of that because of my position and uh, because of our relationship so that I don't, uh, you know, really back, back down one of my staff into a corner to, to make them feel like, man, uh, you know, I, I'm in a, helpless place, uh, because I've dropped the ball on something. So, you know, that would, that would be one, at least criticism that's, you know, valid and, and I'm trying to grow and learn and, uh, you know, uh, I'll keep growing until the Lord comes. That's a hard dynamic, especially in staff dynamics, because there is an org chart, but you're also a pastor, but you're also a fellow member. I mean, there's all these kind of layers as organizational, professional, and then spiritual, and then, you know, relational things bundled up. And in some ways, I feel like it's, you know, staff dynamics are harder in a church um, because there's so many things intertwined with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, everything you said, I think it just reminds me of earlier when you commented about how you got to be honest with yourself. And I mean, that's, that's a great skill to have. I don't know if many people can do it well, but really to be unflinching in your self-assessment, I think is, is probably, you know, a, a very important you know, uh, trait to have, uh, especially mm-hmm. if you're leading people, um, but, mm-hmm. but probably really hard to delegate or to, to, uh, to develop. Um, yeah. now, so you, you spent some time with John Piper. Is that right? A little bit of time. Yeah, he was, uh, he's the, my preaching professor. He was my pastor when I was out here, um, at Bethlehem Baptist church. So yes. Yeah. Well, I, the reason I say this is because I remember hearing him on a panel. He, he said something like, this is reflecting on his, you know, 200 years of ministry. And, <laughs> and he was talking about how he's like, you know, I just learned that sometimes like there's this one guy who, no matter how hard I preached, no matter what I did, how I approached him, he just didn't change that much, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I just had to accept that. And I was like, wow. That, that, but, but I think there's something sobering about that, having a mindset. So was there anything in your time under his pastoral leadership that helped you uh, just understanding conflict or how, do you, how, to, how a pastor can keep his, his head level, his joy intact in the midst of these kinds of things? Yeah. Um, you know, John Piper is uh, a lightning rod in various ways at times. Um, but I think what I've seen, at least up close, is you know, there's a very real uh, sense of abiding in Christ, right? His, um, he doesn't drink the Kool-Aid. Uh, he's not out there thinking he's a big deal, uh, but really he wants to be faithful to what the Lord's called him to. And then, you know, God's given him uh, a big megaphone to, to speak into at various points and uh, God's used that. And so I'm really thankful for that. But I think uh, it's just reminded me of, you know, it's the Lord who does that. He didn't go out to be, you know, a celebrity or on the speaking circuit. Um, and so really, I, I think, you know, the, the main thing I want to do is, is just be a faithful pastor, right? Serve my flock, faithfully labor away and, and trust the Lord with the 
the results of that. You know, um, if there's more influence or more ability to to minister to more, that's great. If not, man, I'm really content with pastoring my church, my people, uh, and and try to be faithful in doing that. And so I think he's been a a, a wonderful example of that. You're not going to tell us a funny story about him or any kind of you know, anecdote. Uh, the, the, when, when he uh, taught our preaching class, you know, I was a nervous wreck. I had never preached before. I didn't like public speaking. I was kind of shy as a kid. And so I was like, you know, what do I do? And, and I remember hearing his own story of like not really loving public speaking and then being asked to pray in Wheaton, uh, I think in chapel at Wheaton College. And so I went up and said like, Hey, Pastor John, I, I'm really nervous about this. Uh, like any advice. And he basically just said like, just try to know your material really well. And then just, you know, just preach it with all your heart and trust the Lord with uh, those results. And, um, and it, it was still a nerve wracking, uh, experience. Um, but I, I've just been helped just by his own example of, uh, really, being very encouraging, complimentary, and then just really trusting the Lord in those things. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I probably have some funny stories, but I don't, they don't come to mind at this particular moment. <laughs> well, you know, I, you're saying that John Piper doesn't drink the Kool-Aid. I don't think he knows what Kool-Aid is. I mean, he's just like yeah. the least culturally savvy, you know, which is probably. Diet Coke. Diet Coke Diet is Coke. a choice. Oh, really? Well, I yeah. love Diet Coke as well. And that makes us the same kind of preacher. So that's uh, a, <laughs> that'll be a great thing. Um, you know, maybe, you know, as we kind of close, um, you know, we, we have some listeners who are thinking about seminary, thinking about going to full-time ministry mm-hmm. and, you know, there's sort of a, a lot of, you know, d- don't do it unless you can't do anything else, you know, and it's going to break mm-hmm. your heart. And there's all these kind of, you know, warnings about conflict. Mm-hmm. And it can be kind of discouraging. What would you say to those guys to encourage them not to be afraid? And maybe even what are some practical things, skills they can develop? They might not get in seminary mm-hmm. to prepare themselves for ministry and dealing with conflict. You know, so what are ways they can prepare themselves and how can you encourage them not to be afraid? Yeah, yeah. It's a great question. Um, you know, there is a lot of, you know, don't do seminary unless you really feel called. And that, I think that's true. I think that's good advice. And I would say, uh, you know, th- there's nothing quite as amazing and sweet as being a conduit of grace into the lives of others. Right. Uh, and to be able to be used by God and to know like, Hey, it's not because of my ingenuity, but it's, if I'm can faithfully open this word, God's spirit works in the hearts of people and grows them to become more Christ-like and you get to be the means by which that happens. That's an amazing thing. We, we have the best job in the world. You know, I have to remind myself that. And, um, and in terms of how to help some guys really grow in that, I would say, you know, to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. So learn to, uh, follow other good leaders and learn from both good leaders and bad leaders. I've learned a lot just by watching others do it. And I would say, even if you're leading from kind of the second seat, you're an associate pastor or you're on a staff is learn how to engage, um, you know, the, the main leader, if that's the case, when you have questions and to field criticisms. And, and I think that is really a way to develop some of those instincts and skills to learn how to do that. And I remember several times of just, 
kind of, I was part of a church plant for a little while and I was part of, um, you know, a couple other churches, but really learning how to lead in that. And then I'll, how to, how to bring criticism, you know, as a church member, um, like, Hey, I, I don't know if I agree with where we're going as a, as a church, but like, how do I gently and kindly and carefully bring this, uh, to others. And so I think that can help us so that when we're in the place of leadership, we would do that better. Um, and then we can also see, uh, you know, what it's like to be on the other side to bring, bringing the criticism so that we can respond well, um, to how others are, um, you know, trying to bring concerns. So those would be at least two things. Um, you know, I think really also just getting a good self-assessment. Most guys fall off on one of the two sides, right? They want to be people pleasers or they're too eager to pick a fight. Uh, and, and so figure out which side you are and then work hard at, at kind of, uh, you know, being more gentle. If you're always prone to pick a fight, how do I be patient? Let me, let me be quick to listen slow to speak. And then if it's on the other side, okay, how, how do I say this clearly? How, how do I articulate this uh, with courage? How, how do I lean in to that so that I'm not just trying to please people? Um, and so again, figure out which, you know, where you're prone to kind of fall off and, and then work hard to begin to address those things. It's really helpful, especially the perspective about, you know, putting yourself in the in the members' shoes and, and, and sometimes forgetting what it was like before you were a pastor and, and, and you know, had that authority or, or were in leadership, what it was like for you to approach your pastor. And, and that can kind of help you remember, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, I don't want them to feel that way or I want them to have a sense that they can be open and, and, and all that stuff and build that trust. So that's a, that's a I don't know, I, that, that, that was really compelling to me, the, the way that you phrased that. But um Stephen, this is a great conversation. I appreciate your thoughts on this, and uh, yeah. you know, this is obviously it's a it's a really important topic to talk about. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I I really appreciate your work on this. I'm going to link your article in the show notes so people can check it out. But um, again, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciate it, and we'll have to have you on again another time. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Really appreciate being here. If you guys uh, enjoyed this podcast, make sure you subscribe to it on Apple or Spotify. Make sure you leave a good review. You can also check out our brand new website, that'llpreach.io. We have all of our uh, past episodes cataloged there. You can go search them, go check them out. And uh, make sure you share this. Share it with your friends. If, if you pastors who are friends dealing with conflict, share this episode. Hopefully you can bless them. And I appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>